it's it's actually in a way an easier, more practical thing to care about the creative, to care about creating something meaningful because in a world where the consumer has all the control, that's what wins. Episode 34. I was editing that episode, re-listening to the great interview that I enjoyed with Drew Davis. Go listen to episode 34, by the way. You will not be disappointed. And he brings up a man by the name of Jay Kunzo. Long story short, Drew introduced me to Jay. I listened to some of Jay's new podcast, Unthinkable, invited him on Leading Matters, and here he is. He's got an awesome perspective on craftsmanship, on the power of creativity, on injecting a, a level of attention to what we're creating into our everyday and into every job that we do. And he's great at it. He's really, you know, his podcast is produced really well. Matter of fact, towards the end, it makes me think, well, shoot, maybe I ought to revisit how I'm producing Leading Matters because I, I look between you and me, I take kind of the, uh, the path of least resistance to cut it up quickly and, and get it out. Um, but I might change that up. And go listen to Unthinkable, which is Jay Kunzo's podcast, and you'll hear the production style that he selected there. Now listen, we get into quite a bit here, and I don't even want to uh, water it down by giving you an overview. Suffice to say, if you care about how your company is communicating as far as the mission that you're setting out to do, how your products and services truly make a difference in the lives of those that you sell, how you want to empower and better enable your sales force to be authoritative in the way they communicate the narrative and the story and the solution, then this podcast is right for you. It's also right for you if you find yourself in the marketing game and you think there's more to be had more value, more quality, more creativity, and in, in, in fact, maybe more art. So sit back. It's a long one. I was a little self-indulgent and let this interview run a little bit long because I love Jay's perspective. I hope you love it too. So let's sit back and listen to this interview with Jay Acunzo. If you visit sorryformarketing.com, Jay Acunzo's main digital property, you'll read that Jay is a creator, a content marketer, a producer, and defender of quality. And I really want you to think about that last one just for a, for a, mo a moment, uh, defender of quality. Now, Jay is currently the vice president of Platform for NextView Seed Investors. And you might ask, well, what is Platform? And it is the support that NextView gives to startups to help them gain traction. This help includes things like startup stories uh, include and, and hiring talent, the right talent. Now, Jay's had professional stops at ESPN, Google, and HubSpot and most recently just launched the podcast Unthinkable, which he calls a show for craft-driven content creators. Jay has an awesome perspective, and, and I'm you know, really happy to have him with us today. So, Jay, before we get into the interview here, thanks so much for joining me today on Leading Matters. Wow, Jill, thank you so much for that intro. That was awesome. I really appreciate it. Uh, no worries. Listen, uh, indulge me just for a moment here, because I want to share my story, how I, I come to even know who Jay Kunzo is, and, and ask you to kind of fill in the blanks. But I had Drew Davis on the show recently, and I had asked him about Snapchat, and he sort of had mixed feelings about how it was being used today. He said there's a lot of talking heads on it. Uh, but he brought up your use of Snapchat uh, when you were preparing Unthinkable and sharing some of the behind-the-scenes development on getting ready to launch the new podcast, Unthinkable. And I tell that story because I'll admit, before Drew, before I had the conversation with Drew, I hadn't had the good fortune of crossing digital paths with you. So I'm going to assume that a lot in my audience might 
be in those same shoes. They might not know who Jay Kunzo is. So for their benefit, can you give us a little inside story, a story brief, if you will, and explain why you're so passionate about creativity? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lots of places I could start, but I think the best is that for as long as I can remember, I've just been fascinated and obsessed with and pursued this like little thread of the fact that you can create media to make someone else feel something. And that, that was always something I was fascinated with in school as a writer. So I wanted to be a sports journalist in college. I actually got a scholarship for it. And I think a lot of people hear sports journalism and maybe they're in the media and they have this instant thought in their head. I just, I just want to debunk anybody's uh, myth around sports journalism. So, you know, those like saccharine stories that like over dramatize an athlete's like hero's journey. Sure. Really, really sappy, right? Sure. Those stories. I wanted to write those stories. Like I just <laughs> love the way that you could do that because they're so emotionally fraught. And then you get into the business world and some of that creative impulse and some of the idea of resonance and emotion kind of gets squeezed out of you as you become maybe like a cog in the machine. And I'd always carried that with me throughout my career. So I did digital media strategy at Google with big brands and agencies that were looking to use Google AdWords. I did the content marketing thing at two different startups. And now at a VC firm, I advise a lot of our startups on how to do content marketing. And I do it for the firm next view. And so all of this stuff kind of leads me to launching Unthinkable, which was this realization that, wow, we talk a lot about the M word in content marketing. We very rarely talk about the C word, but that is why I got into this field. That's why I like this field. That's why I like my job. That's why I like to tinker on the side, on side projects. And, and the more I started talking about it, the more I realized I am far from alone. We're just not really united. And so I thought if I can send up a flare and start talking openly about me building it, not even launch the thing. I was, I was at first just talking about, hey, I want to build this thing. Is anyone else interested in kind of following my journey on my blog or on Snapchat? And a lot of people came running and said, oh my God, I'm so glad someone is finally saying what we're thinking. Like we just got into this field to create meaningful work and everyone else around us is agonizing over tips and tricks and shortcuts sure. and ultimate guides and all sure. that junk. Um, so that's kind of me, I guess, in a microcosm. And, and the headline is, I'm just someone who loves to tinker on the internet and make other people feel emotions. No, I love that. You know, because I, listen, this is a, a, a I get into this a lot on leading matters because what I've discovered over the course of my career is that it takes strong leadership to actually care about the emotional element of what we're doing. I mean, would you agree with that? That that if I don't have a, a leader in place that actually cares about the story of what we're doing and how it actually impacts lives of what we're doing, that you know, coming up with the creative side of marketing might be a, a daunting task. Oh, absolutely. And, and I feel like there's one truth underlying ev everybody in marketing, everybody in the entrepreneurship world where I sit with NextView, just business in general today, and that is the consumer has all the power. Consumers, we as consumers have total control over where we spend our time because we have both a million or I should say like billions of options on every medium. And if we don't want your message, we can choose something else. And we have the technology that enables us to skip marketing messages or, or pick something else, right? So if you're watching a TV ad, you can look at your phone or fast forward through it. And that's just one example. So if you don't actually create stuff that people actually want and you're in the business of trying to make people want stuff, it's a really, it's a slog. It's, it's actually in a way an easier, more practical thing to care about the creative, to care about creating something meaningful because in a world where the consumer has all the control, that's what wins. 
Man, I love that, Jay. I, you know, because I, again, I, I, I see such this big backlash. Look, I, I focus a lot on business to business, right? And I think business to business, in my opinion, is probably the most guilty of it because they're so enslaved to the metrics. And the metrics certainly matter, right? And I heard you on a recent podcast kind of <laughs> discuss what some of the acronyms like MQL and SQL mean. But by being enslaved to those acronyms that we, we forget and those measurements that we sometimes forget that there's a real drama taking place in just what we do every day. I mean, how, you know, kind of stacking the deck on you, maybe putting you on the spot, but how do we break through the, uh, you know, the worship of the, the data and the metrics to get to that point where we're actually telling a narrative that, that is real, it's true, it's transparent, and it means something? I think we've come to this point where, you know, as marketers today, as business people today, we can measure everything. And that's wonderful. And therefore, we do measure everything. And that's made us all good at what we do. We're, we're good marketers. We're good business people. We're good entrepreneurs. So if you're listening, like pat yourself on the back. You are good at what you do. But, but here's the problem. If you can measure something, you can document it. And especially in the marketing world, when someone documents marketing knowledge, most of the rest of the world calls that blogging. <laughs> and so you have this Im immense and growing compendium of knowledge for how to do literally anything, especially in the B2B world. And so that world becomes, can you follow the list, not can you be creative and stand out and be different? And again, if the, if the name of the game is attention and consumers control where they spend that attention, they don't want the same old, same old. They want the new, the original, the meaningful. And if all you're doing is following the best practice, in a way, especially us as marketers, we're kind of contributing to our own demise. We're making it harder to do our jobs just by following the best practice. And so I'll give you an example. Recently, I was looking at what is the best time to tweet. And if you look at, you know, there's a, something like 436 million Google results on that search phrase in under a second, like right at your fingertips, which <laughs> sure. th that alone is insane, right? Like to get that number, you have to combine like multiple large company or multiple large countries, total population <laughs> to get that number. So yeah. everybody in a large company out of their, their goodness of their hearts has written one blog post, two marketers on how to figure out the best time to tweet. It's nuts. But the top couple of results kind of averaged out their studies to say that local time, 1230 p.m. is the best time to tweet. And I thought, OK, great. Well, it's readily accessible in under a second. And if every marketer I'm competing with decides that they're going to go and pursue the best practice because they have numbers to hit and they have to mitigate risk and they're worried about taking a risk that fails and they figure out the best time to tweet in my time zone is 1230 and I am also tweeting at 1230, guess what? It is no longer the best time to tweet. <laughs> sure. And so I'm just obsessed with this idea of finding white space to own it outright. Like I love the Jerry Garcia quote. Like you don't want to be the best of the best. You want to be the only ones that do what you do. And I think if you understand why your business exists in the first place is to solve some kind of problem or make your audience feel a certain way if you're B2C, like you want to make that unique enough where your content is a logical extension of that. And you can own whatever it is outright. And, and so with NextView, everybody's capital in the investment world is just as green. It's money. That's our, our product is super boring. Mm -hmm. We're like all mm -hmm. investors on the same street selling plain bagels. Yeah. And the way to sell a plain bagel against a competitor who also sells a plain bagel is don't sell a plain bagel, sell something else. And so what we sell is partnership you know, acumen and network and advice. Well, every firm now sells that. Okay, sure. well, let's let's add content to the mix. Let's add events. Let's add talent sourcing for our startups. But none of the tactics matter. None of the best practices matter. What matter is NextView has raised its hand and said, the reason we exist in the world for our audience 
entrepreneurs is to help them gain initial traction because we are seed investors. That's why they would care about us. That's what we're for in the world. And so now all the content becomes an extension of that, all the marketing, all the initiatives, and we can own it outright and own that white space and be loud about it. And if someone thinks about raising seed, boom, you can come right to Nextview. And so this skittishness that we feel, back to your original question, around like we're gonna miss the metrics and oh my God, we can't be creative or we can't honor our craft, I, I think that's that's us like protecting ourselves against the fact that we're not actually doing something original. We're trying to follow the best practice. Mm. And so I challenge people listening to stop looking for a best practice and start crafting your own. Because I think that is what a great marketer, a great leader does, is they they are informed by the best practices, but they don't just blindly follow them, they go and craft their own. And so that's actually the foundational principle behind unthinkable. The, you know, the unthinkable is taking that leap between doing what the data says worked in the past and what the precedent says you should do and actually following your intuition and following your creativity because it's telling you something else could work better. Man, that's great. Uh, you know, it's I, I get excited about this kind of thought and, and discussion because I... Me too. <laughs> I, yeah, I really do because it's like, I see it too. Like, there's so many people... Like, look, there's a startup here in the Philly area. I won't mention their names, but, you know, they, they, they're they well-funded and they have a pretty cool, uh, you know, platform that they're building. Um, but their marketers are frustrated because there, there's two content marketers and they're junior they're kind of junior and they have no they're kind of rudderless right they're kind they don't have that they don't have that license to go create and actually think and and let me tie it into a question and i'll, and I'll put it this way in something that you wrote recently that i think is a good uh point to bring it up um you wrote this in a recent blog post you said a craft driven creator approaches her work as an intrinsically motivating activity. And you gave a great analogy, and that's how I'll tie it into this company here in Philadelphia, of sweeping the floor and how we just want to kind of, when we have a chore like that, we just want to get to the end of it. We don't like it, and we see it really only as a means to the end, which is the the clean floor, right? So, you know, given that company here in Philadelphia where these content marketers don't have the freedom to create, um, and then also in the world today, do you think that the glut of content that's being produced today is done so mostly as the means to an end and not as a freeing exercise in, in craftsmanship? Yes, absolutely. I think that once you start to corporatize and systematize uh, anything, you start to take the craft out of it because you're just trying to make it efficient to get to the end faster. And so the, the, the phrase and the writing that you mentioned, just to give your listeners a little context, so my wife is in psychology and I worked briefly for a startup that had a gamified content product. So game mechanics and the psychology of how people interact with something and engage was very important. And so I started researching, you know, what is it about content and the way people seem to treat it with these two different mentalities. Some people just want to create and some people treat it like a vehicle to an end. And there's this word, this really dangerous word that is seeping into a lot of content marketing mentalities, which is telic, T-E-L-I-C, telic. Mm. It basically means done for the end result alone, a.k.a. a chore. And when you treat something like telic, uh, you know, the analogy being sweeping your floor, you'd rather blink your eyes. You'd rather outsource it. You'd rather, <laughs> sure. you know, pay the bottom dollar to get someone to clean the floor for you. Or if you do it yourself, it's probably not going to be as good as if you genuinely loved sweeping your floor. And so, you know, you can use all crazy analogies like as a parent, you hired little quarters around your kids rooms and if they clean really well, they'll find them. I've heard of parents doing that and they're trying to take a telic activity and turn it into an intrinsic one so that the, 
the end result is actually better. Um, and so if you treat something not as telic, but as intrinsic, chances are it's going to be a better experience. It's going to be done with more care. It's going to be done more often because people seek out things that aren't chores to them in their work and in their play. And I think we've just lost our way. Like the, the name of the game is to get somebody to respond to our content in an intellectual or an emotional way. And we've lost sight of what this content is for. And instead, we're like focused on the immediacy right in front of us. Like, how do we ship this piece? How do mm -hmm. we blog? How do we mm -hmm. podcast? And that's a real danger because it's treating it as a telic vehicle to get to the end. So my argument here is like, if someone is in a business that they don't have creative reign, if it's coming from your boss, you got to do it yourself. If it's, you know, if you are the boss, you can actually instill this in your team. Like, take a moment and celebrate the stuff inside. So what I mean by that is if you're a writer, think about not just the views and the leads that that blog post drove. Think about the intro paragraph. Or if you're the boss of that writer, tell mm. that writer, hey, I really admired the way you opened that piece because it hooked me. They're going to think this awesome thing happens when you think like that. They're going to think, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Dopamine hit in my brain. I want to find that feeling again. I want to pursue that again. I want to revisit the paragraphs and how I make this piece addicting and shareable. And I want to pursue it more. I want to do more writing. I want to be basically a, a more efficient writer, if you think about it in business terminology. And so these two things are completely aligned. Like I'm not saying go be an artist that ships once a year. I think real artists ship a lot. But I think we need to change, we need to reverse how we're thinking about content marketing from a telic chore to an intrinsically motivating thing because the people who are intrinsically motivated to create do so at an insanely high rate and it's all high quality. Like we want more of that, but we have to change how we approach this stuff. Yeah, man, that's just that's just really good stuff. You know, one of the pushbacks I hear on, uh, on content marketing comes a lot from from sales forces, right? They're so tired of it because, especially in again, I, I focus on the B two B side and 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 not transactional sales folks, but but salesmen and women that actually have a longer sales cycle ahead of them. So anywhere from eight weeks plus, right? So it's, it's an engaged. Uh, buying process that they have to, you know, steward, right? And they get incredibly frustrated because they don't feel as though the content supports that effort, that all the content actually does, and to your point about this whole idea of what telic, uh, you know, exercising of uh, our craft is fill up a, a lead funnel with just volume, and there's no quality there, right? Could it be, and again, I'm kind of stacking the deck because this is my perspective, I kind of feel that if we focus more intimately on the sales stages like what actually happens there and the stories because look every good salesperson can use an anecdote and a story to push a deal along so if we focus on on actually feeling out those stories what they are who the characters are who the unsung heroes are what the conflicts are is that a way to help us push the sales process along, get more trust and enable our sales forces a little bit more um, intimately, and then also has the desired effect of increasing quality in the marketing funnel. I mean, what do you think about that? I love it. We're going to go from we're, the creative struggles to sales. Like by the end of the conversation, we're going to go and solve like world hunger. hunger. <laughs> I love it. All the tough questions are coming out. But no, I, I, I totally see where you're coming from. And I think it's important to reset back to the very first principle of what content marketing is even about. It is about solving the same problem for your audience as your product, full stop. That is the definition of content marketing, although if you go and search for it, you'll find paragraphs full of jargon <laughs> because those, those people who are writing the definitions are selling you a, a product or a service, sure. so they want to make it sound complex and scary. I have nothing to sell here except hopefully people will listen to my show, but 
you know, content marketing is just solving the same problem that your product or service solves. You know, if you're in B2C, maybe you change that a little bit to making them feel the same way. But at the end of the day, it's about providing a solution out into the world that perfectly aligns, whether it's through content or through product or through the executive going and giving a talk, whatever it is, whatever touch point you have with a business, it's got to have that consistent thread of like, we exist for one reason, that is to solve your problem or fulfill your desire, dear customer. And if you think of it like that, uh-huh. the goal of content marketing is actually to turn every sell into an upsell. Like, wouldn't that be a great world to live in where everyone's like just pointing to the thing that their prospect is already doing and uh-huh. being like, don't you want to do that a little bit better? Sure. And logically come buy our product. And, and so one example of that, you know, I'll, I'll just keep using the examples uh, you know, that's authentic to me is like with NextView. When we invest, it's again at the seed stage. So we provide things like a podcast where you can get inspired to think the right way about gaining initial traction. We provide templates which remove steps from your day when you're trying to get something done in order to gain initial traction. And when you're at the point where you're now out fundraising, we can say, look, you've consumed all this content and you've done all this stuff with us around gaining initial traction. Well, oh, by the way, you know what a great way to start gaining traction is? Like, come work with NextView. And, and that turns that sell into an upsell. They have context already. They're already starting to act. First, we inspire them. Then we help teach them. Then we help them act. And that's all through content. And when they're at this moment where they're starting to act and starting to get something done, in NextView's case or any company's case, they're rubbing up against this line that I call like the oh, by the way moment, which is oh, by the mm-hmm. way, you're already doing that right now through our content. You know what the best way to yep. do that is? Yep. Buy our product. Yeah, no, I like that. You know, I read. I'm not sure if you uh, have read the. Have you read the book Challenger Sale? No, I haven't. It's a really great book. It's about. It's actually five years old. I had one of the authors on my show, Brent Adamson. It's done by the chief executive board, and it, it, you know, it's kind of it's kind of um, process and methodology driven. But the the idea behind it is that listen, we can't be in the pain solution game anymore. You know, the thing we used to do in the thousands, all the enterprise software companies said, "Oh, here's your problem. Here's a solution, and here's how we solve it." And he, uh, the authors kind of contend that, listen, you have to be prescriptive. In other words, know and own what you're solving in a prescriptive way so you can prescribe where your clients or customers ought to head, uh, ahead of them even thinking about it, right? And why I like that, and especially I bring it up now uh, because what you just said reminded me of um, – you know, that inherent in prescribing a suggested course of, of attack, the way you just described it, is uh, is a natural emotive kind of drama, right? I mean, do you do you see that play out in the way that NextView develops uh, content for these would-be uh, startups that are looking for seed investment? We start super simple. I mean, and I think any any good content marketer starts super simple. I mean, what I've always been fascinated by as a symptom for what I talk about when I mean simple is like, Uh, SEO tools and how much industry is around SEO tools. Our SEO tools are a free plugin in WordPress and we get 85% of our traffic coming from search. And that's only because by definition, a venture capitalist is spending tons and tons of their day and their week around their customers, around entrepreneurs. They're meeting with them, they're reading their blogs, they're going to talk to them, they're having board meetings. That gives us a little bit of an unfair advantage because we just know our customers, know what they're struggling with, and can solve that on the blog. Can, again, do the same thing that our capital does, that our board advice does mm. through our content. Sure. And so, like, it's simple. Knowing your customers, providing into the world what they want to see. 
Now we're, again, we have an unfair advantage because that's the nature of our job and we're a small team. Yeah. If you're at a large corporation, you go to work every single day, you might work there for 20 years and never talk to a single customer. I think that era needs to die. And yeah. I think it is. I think it is dying. I, I think agree. people, there's no excuse not to go on Twitter and search for the terms that your customers are using. There's no excuse to not to go to that customer event, regardless of what team you're on. Um, the great travel tech company Kayak used to have a customer support line, a big red phone in the middle of their engineering department. Huh. And it would actually have customer support calls redirected there periodically throughout the day. And they had to answer it. Engineers, these aren't marketers who are fine interacting with human beings. You know, the classic example of, a, of an engineer that wants to put their head down and code, like they had to pick up the phone because they had to know the customer to build something that they actually wanted on the product side. Content marketers have to be the same way. Yeah. Salespeople have to be the same way. We are all problem solvers. That is, we are in the business of solving problems. We are not in the business of selling. We are not in the business of marketing. We're problem solvers. Yeah, no, and I like how that. are you going to solve problems if you're not out there being a sleuth? Yeah, if you're not, you're not talking to it. You know, I've heard it said that, look, everybody, today's day and age, everybody is in the sales game and the content game, no matter where you are in the organization. So I like that because I think that reinforces that notion. Jay, let me. I want to switch gears back to kind of the creative nature of, of things, uh, and I want to kind of give you a story. I'd love to get your 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 perspective on it. Now, I live in the Philadelphia region, and I'm not sure if you've ever been to Philly, but our Museum of Art is pretty pretty good Museum of Art. But most tourists that come to the city, they know the museum only because the steps appeared in the Rocky movies. I mean, it's just sad, but it's true, right? Now, I have my own feelings about that, but what would you say to the fact that tourists here? to Philadelphia will stop by the museum to get their photos taken with this statue that was essentially a movie prop, you know, the Rocky statue that sits at the bottom of the famous steps, but they never actually venture into the building itself. I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think that says something about creativity and, and our appreciation for it today? Hmm, that's a good one. I, I'm, there's two immediate reactions I have to that. The first is who gets to decide what's interesting, what's creative, what's quality? It's it's not the people that are producing it in a vacuum. You know, it's certainly not some thought leader's book or speech. Uh, it's certainly not, you know, two people like you and me on a podcast advising. It's it's the market. It's people who consume things. And so if that museum is struggling to get people inside, well, maybe that's because they decided the best way to consume art and experiences is in four walls and you have to go through a ticketed line and you have mm. to like wander these halls. And maybe that's the experience that the customer doesn't want and they're not listening to their customers enough. Um, so that's one reaction. The second is it, you know, good marketing does this good sales, good product, good creativity. It's, you know, steering into what somebody is already trying to do is how you get them to pay attention to you. So in this world where we're all hyperactive and we have a million options and we're in total control as a consumer, attention becomes the scarce resource that we're all after. And the way to do that isn't the kind of classic and I think false notion of what, you know, for example, an entrepreneur does or what a marketer does, which is, hey, you're doing things one way, stop doing that, run over to me, do it my way, think my way. You know, it's like this idea of transformative products and marketing and ideas. Like, I think that's all crap. Yeah. I think actually what transforms people is nudging them step by step, slowly by slowly from what they're doing over to your way. And the way to do that, again, isn't rip the bandaid and come over here. It's I'm going to step into the flow of what you're already doing. So to bring it home into a more practical place, if you're looking at those steps and you're taking photos, where like the psychology is at play here, 
what are they interested in? They're interested in movies and entertainment, whatever. Maybe it's too highfalutin to go into the museum or maybe it's, you know, maybe they're, they're just not seeing what they could see because it's behind four walls. Like they're already there. They're getting attention right outside their door. How do they use that, right? How do they set up some logical experiences, almost like a trail of breadcrumbs to lead them from those steps over to what they want them to do? Um, we talked about Snapchat very, very briefly before uh, at the top of the show. And it's like, I'm, I'm using Snapchat to build my show behind the scenes in, an, in a transparent way because while I want the listener, I know that people who would listen to my show really care about how to make stuff. And I'm not gonna say, pause on that, and come listen to my show and get inspired first, sure. then go make stuff. I'm going to say, okay, that's what you're thinking about. That, that's what you want. Let me just be completely transparent and show you the brass tacks and the kind of machinations behind the scenes of what it is to build a show like mine. And that will then get you over to listen to the show because you have this curiosity or you have a relationship with me through the video. So that, you know, again, it's getting into the flow, into the psychology of what a consumer is doing and then tiptoeing them over to, you know, what you want them to do. Well, I'm glad I asked the question. I, you know, because I, I was curious of what your thoughts would be. I had no idea where you'd take it, but that's great. I mean, kind of meeting people where they are and handholding them to one step ahead, and it's so much packed in there. I think there's so much value there. Jay, I know we're we're bumping up on 30 minutes. Would you mind if I just held on to you for about another five, 10 minutes at the most? Oh, I, I get. Oh, yes, definitely. I, I block a lot of time for this. Okay, great. Because I want to actually stay with this the museum for a second uh, and switch gears. Actually, travel with me up to the third floor of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and on that third floor, there's a lot of medieval uh, items like suits of armors, weaponry, you know, Bibles and books, prayer books, things like that, and all items that actually had use. In other words, they were functional. They were utilitarian, right? But here we are centuries later, and we're looking at the craftsmanship as a form of art in these items. So I have two questions here. You know, centuries from now, do you think that any of our functional everyday items will be viewed as art? And the second question would be, do we have an opportunity to place more craftsmanship into our work, uh, no matter what we do. Let me start with the second one because I think it answers the first. So, what what is craftsmanship? What is being craft driven? I use that phrase a lot on the show. Um, I'm kind of exploring that. Like that's definitely part of the journey of me doing Unthinkable, and I'm trying to bring people along with it. But you know, some of the lessons that we've uncovered together as a community so far. The first is. Someone who thinks about their craft is first and foremost obsessed with the process itself or like the journey of creating it, not just shipping it and getting the result. They, they would kind of do it in a vacuum if no one else saw it just because they're in love with the work. And I think we're in this mentality now, especially because of the Internet and the, the shortcut culture we see in the business world where we want the hack, the tip, the trick, the you know, growth hack movement and, and all this secret BS that just doesn't exist. And you're not going to create something meaningful that way. You're really, really adept at maybe stealing or borrowing some attention from people. But if your goal is to be remembered, which is what you're asking about, you really can't act like that way. It's it's really hard to earn attention and, and be memorable today. It's harder than ever. It's really easy to steal attention, but you got to focus on the harder thing because the dividends will pay out, you know, bigger and better and more lasting, not only in being remembered, but in actual like business results too. Um, so that's the first thing I'd say is like, well, what is craftsman? ship to begin with. It's just kind of honoring and thinking about the process in and of itself, void of results. And I think that by definition will get you better results, you know, back to our mm -hmm. telic yeah. conversation. The, the other thing too is like, I'm obsessed with this idea of like, will they miss you if you were gone? 
And, and that I think plays into like my work as an individual and like legacy in life and like the existential stuff that I deal sure, with. Sure. That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> um, but also with our content, we're, we're so frenetic and panicked and nervous about not hitting results or not doing the quote best practice that we're just creating copycat stuff. And it's just about like, can I get in front of them? Can I reach them? Forgetting about resonance, forgetting about being remembered. It's just, let me just get out there in the world and do same old, same old. But the question needs to become, you know, not can you just trick them into consuming you, but if you actually went away, would they miss you? Because that moment and getting to that point is what causes a celebrity to just turn on a Snapchat account or a Twitter account and millions just come following. Like, don't we, we all want that? But when it comes time to actually do the stuff that gets us that, we're scared. Mm. Um, we all want that big, beautiful blog. We want to be Red Bull. We want to be Amex. We want to be, you know, we want to be Joel doing his podcast. We want to be someone who's doing something that they, that they find they find meaning in their life or or big results or whatever the case is. But the way to do that isn't to continually trick people or do the yeah. you know good enough stuff. The way to do that is is to provide something that people would actually miss if it was gone. And this is a classic product manager, product designer question. Mm that you will actually survey your audience early on to see if you're getting product market fit as an entrepreneur, you'll ask that question overtly. You know, would you miss this or how much would you miss this or whatever? And, and I think now is the time, if you're asking what will we remember someday, I don't think very much because we're not asking that question enough. You know, I think at the top of our industries with the iPhone and the beauty of that technology and whatever, you're like sure. But to create art today, to create media today, we're, we're just, in this like race to the bottom for page views and eyeballs, <laughs> yeah. right? And and, and like we the, need to the top ten. Content. You'll never guess what happened next, but BS posts, right? Well, what's so fascinating is like the media world has the struggling business models that kind of prevent them from being super craft driven. Like they don't, they can't fund the meaningful and the memorable as much as they'd like to. But mm. they have the talent that wants to do that in the marketing and business world and kind of the quote brand world although that's a slippery slope because brands today could be media, but like sure. in the marketing world, we have the business models. Those aren't failing, but we lack the talent or the mentality to do the meaningful stuff, which is like, that's such, we're like two ships passing in the night. It's super sad because the, the talent exists, the business models exist. They're just not focused on each other right now. Um, but once we get there, I think to answer your question in a pithy way, yes, we'll be back to this era where we're done with the cheap shit. We're done with the page view game. Mm. We're done with the tips and tricks articles cause they rank on search and we'll be back to what this is supposed to be about, which is the human being on the other end and the creativity. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope it happens in our lifetime, right? <laughs> I, I firmly, I firmly believe we're heading in that way. And, and I think, you know, that some of the things I'm exploring on the show are to kind of shed a light on those things uh -huh. and just be, be super loud about them. I think the people who do the cheap stuff are very, very good at being loud and stealing attention. And so you see all the stuff about, you know, the growth hacking movement and all that. But, you know, part of the reason I'm doing Unthinkable is because it's like um, I'm pretty good at being loud, <laughs> but I don't care about the, the secrets and all that. Yeah. So maybe I could be loud about something that, that will last. Well, well, let me turn to Unthinkable, right? Because what strikes me about the podcast is the way that you've chosen to produce it. I mean, you obviously have taken, you know, a, a certain style and, and that was your decision. So what I'm curious about is share with us, you know, what Unthinkable is all about. And then I'd love to for you to discuss some of the steps that you took to decide upon the production style that you've settled on. 
So Unthinkable right now is a podcast in my like favorite future, which is a question we ask a lot of our startups when they're just starting out, you know, what's your favorite future? Um, it's like a living, breathing side project where lots of people are tinkering on it and at least contributing to the community, if not actually working out their creative muscles through the Unthinkable brand, whether that's courses or content or they're actually working on the show or related products. Like that's, that's really the goal is like lots and lots of just fervently creative people that want to get better at their craft, um, connecting with each other and getting better together. But with the podcast, you know, it really started out of an authentic experience. I was having a beer with a friend who started a tech startup and, uh, and I was just like lamenting the fact that I just felt the creativity squeezed out of me in a past job. And it was all about this cog in a machine mentality. And, you know, I just felt like there was a better way and I've seen results doing it the better way. And, and he was like, Oh, you know what? You're bothered by suck. Jay, and you want to go and work with people and find people who are also bothered by, <laughs> by suck. And I just love that. And so that's when I started blogging, like, hey, I'm going to create something. I don't know what it is. I'm thinking a podcast, but it's for this type of person. So I really started with like, what is it for? Not what is it? Um, and people started coming out of the woodwork. And so the reason I have to produce it the way I do, it's kind of painting me into a corner. But like, if I'm talking to people that are craft driven, I want to make a show that's not just nutritious, which is lots of business content, but also delicious, um, and make it story, make it musical, make it, you know, kind of treat the podcast RSS feed like it should be treated, which isn't as like one rigid form, sure. but like a whole channel. Like it, we call it a channel, it's, it, but you know, a podcast feed is NBC. It's not a sitcom on NBC. And so I'm trying to do multiple types of episodes and allow for contributors and collaborators and stuff like that. But at its core, the bleeding heart is if you care about your craft and you truly care about creativity, it's a show for you. You're bothered by shortcut culture and I want to explore people that have taken their care for their craft and scaled it into a meaningful job, project, business, career, and life. So how, you know, because I, I do love the production style that you've Thank chosen, you. right? And yeah, and you know, because I think, uh, again, I know Drew Davis introduced us and I think for a time, I'm not sure if he's still doing it, but for a time he was doing a podcast and he had a similar kind of, uh, you know, inter production style. But it, it's got to be, there's, a, there's a, a, a tangible question in here and that is, it's got to take long look when i do my my show for instance look we're gonna we're gonna chat today you know i'll cut it up i'll cut the beginning and the end i'll put a little bumper on it and then it's done you know and i know exactly how long it takes I me and i'm one guy so you know it, it doesn't it's i only have so much time but when i listen to the way you've produced it that's got to take a lot more effort and time right so how do we make that decision one i i'm curious how much how long it takes you to produce an episode and secondly like what do we do when we have to make that trade-off between time and how creative we want to be about something yeah the time question is is a little bit of a, a an interesting and maybe slippery slope because you you can't you can't and shouldn't start out thinking how do i decrease the time doing this i think the goal is what do you want to make how do you want to make it like good you know i want to make this show again nutritious and delicious and that's what I knew up front. And then the goal isn't how do I figure out a framework or an approach or a methodology or a sound that makes it easier to get there. The goal is to do a lot of work, to ship these episodes a lot, to do it weekly, to constantly wake up in the mornings and at night and on my lunch break and on the weekends and on flights and on trains and write scripts and think about how do I you know, put an x-ray over the script and make it more formulaic behind the scenes, not to be plug and play to the listener, but more to me. You know, and it, the only way you get there is just by doing a lot of work and shipping a lot of stuff. 
And, and so that's the way I approach it. I, I did have a little bit of an advantage where for next view, I host another show called traction where it's about early stage founders. And, uh, we saw these results where I did a similar approach. Now it's not nearly as highly produced as unthinkable, but the same idea applied narration, music, script, that kind of stuff. And a story, not just talking heads. Um, and 12 episodes in, you know, and I'm kind of at my wits end figuring this stuff out, but 12 episodes in Forbes and a Forbes staffer at that, not like a guest contributor, Forbes staff ranked our show as the top show for entrepreneurs, 12 episodes in. That's great. And I'm, I'm like ranked. I'm like, what the hell is happening? I, I, we have 12 episodes. Is it a mistake? Do we know somebody there? And we were compared against all these shows that had hundreds, if not multiple hundreds of episodes. And that to me was strong signal. It's like, okay, you know, forever I've been looking for a lot of people reacting in a minimalist way, sharing, liking, subscribing. This show, 12 episodes in, didn't have much reach, but people were emailing me like diatribes about why they liked it and how practical it was and how useful it was as a startup. And so I kind of flipped how I approach my work, which is I am obsessed with finding a small number of people that react in a big way. And I think once you find that as a creator of anything, if you lean into it with everything you have, good things happen. And so that's what I was looking for with Unthinkable. And it's not going to be a basic talking head show. It's going to have to be something more premium because it is a group of creators. And, and so far, so good. People are, again, emailing me diatribes and saying things on Snapchat and Twitter. And like, it's not reaching a million people. But the people who it is reaching like can't stop talking about it and pouring out their soul to me. And now it's like, okay, great. How do I now get it in front of more people? How do I shoulder into it really, really hard? So that's kind of the mentality behind, behind the show. That's great, Jay. That's, that's just awesome stuff. And like I said, when I talked to, to Drew and, and uh, you know, flipped over, started to follow you on Snapchat and checked in Unthinkable, I was like, I got to have this guy on the show. So uh, I'm going to leave right there. And, uh, but before we go, just help my audience uh, find, you know, how can we find more out about Jay Hunzo, your podcast, Unthinkable? You know, where should, where should we point the audience to? Yeah, so the best place to find all Unthinkable stuff is unthinkable.fm. Uh, for me, I'm Jay Hunzo on every social network. Twitter is where I have kind of the most day-to-day stuff, but I do things called snap classes on Snapchat in between regular snaps and kind of lessons and behind the scenes. I'll take a big topic that applies to, you know, the conversation we're having right now and I'll try to deconstruct it, whether it's consumer attention or Twitter versus Snapchat or whatever it might be. And so Snapchat is Jay Kunzo and same on Twitter. Very good. And I will link those up in my show notes as well. So once again, we've been speaking to Jay Akunzo, the host of the new podcast, Unthinkable. Go add this to your list right away. If you care about some of the things we've been talking about, about creativity, you're looking for more purpose-driven motivation in your day-to-day, you're going to want to check out Unthinkable. And Jay is also the VP of Platform at NextView. Jay, thank you so much for your work. Thank you for your perspective. And mostly, thank you for joining me today on Leading Matters. My pleasure. If you do find my show through this show, let me know that it came from Joel so I can go and give Joel a big bear hug and I'll send you like a funny meme or a gif or something to say thanks for listening. (laughs) How about that? Very good. Take care.